Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Understanding Kindness. I'm Danny. Today, we'll be continuing with my experience through the U.S. education system. Last episode, I took you through my years of preschool through eighth grade. So if you haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen, then start this one again. In today's episode, we're going to get into my high school years. As I expressed in the last episode, I'll be going deep into my emotional and social life today. These aspects in my life played a huge role in my ability to learn and in how I approached school during this point in my life. I also mentioned that I believe this is where a lot of my mental illness became evident to me, so I want to give a content warning for discussion of depression, self-harm, and blood in this episode. I'll let you know beforehand when I'll be talking about those. For now, let's just get into it. Welcome to this episode of Understanding Kindness. Okie dokie, we're on to our native segment today. In this episode, I want to discuss an article that I recently read on the Indigenous Action website titled 16 Things You Can Do to Be Ungovernable. The specific ways that the article mentions to be ungovernable all have a basis in kindness and all revolve around indigenous sovereignty. The article begins by talking about the transition of power from Trump to Biden. The author discusses how we must stay vigilant in our resistance of fascism as, quote, Biden has framed himself as the restorer of a normalcy under which BIPOC were being killed, assaulted, disappeared, bombed, polluted, incarcerated, impoverished, and desecrated. A return to neoliberal normal is a return to death for indigenous, black, and brown peoples the world over, end quote. The author goes on to state, quote, we seek to organize and intervene as directly as possible in the root causes that uphold oppressive social orders, and while working to creatively build and support alternatives based in mutual aid, dignity, and collective self-determination beyond capitalism, end quote. From here, the article lists the 16 things you can do to be ungovernable and thus resist oppressive social orders. Some of these include building an affinity group of like-minded individuals who work together to get something done, practicing transformative and restorative justice by cultivating community to prevent harm from police and prisons, practicing mutual aid by sharing skills, growing food, and trading, being fiercely intersectional, quote, because we're not taking those old shitty behaviors with us, end quote. Practicing radical self and collective care because taking care of ourselves and our community is essential to sustaining ourselves in the resistance. And spreading radical and militant joy by dancing, laughing, having fun, having deep, meaningful conversations, and making art, to name a few. These are just some of the examples offered by the author. Each is rooted in kindness. Each is rooted in abolishing a colonial fascist regime and restoring sovereignty. Total liberation is not possible in a system that requires someone's to be in power over others. This article is offered to those who are negatively affected by and understand capitalism, white supremacy, cis-heteropatriarchy, and police violence and suggests 16 things you can do personally and with community to combat and resist these systems of oppression. Take a read and begin incorporating all or some of them into your life and begin spreading and living in kindness. The link will be in the episode notes.
shout outs. Hello there, my patrons. Thank you both once again for your continued support of the podcast and of me. Let's get back into it. All right, so now enter high school, my freshman year, 2009 to 2010. I came into high school not having my best friend by my side anymore. I had friends that I made the previous year who I spent time with at lunch, but we didn't have any classes together. I tried in my classes. I got pretty good marks, but I struggled to find friends that I could hang out with outside of school. I lived a 30-minute bus ride away from my high school and didn't like staying after school to hang out with my new friends because I was still trying to spend as little time as possible at school. If I had stayed after school for any reason, I wouldn't get home until about 7 at night because of the bus schedule. Since I had to wake up early to even get to school on time in the mornings, I had to go to bed relatively early. So staying after school to not get home until 7 was pretty much not an option for me. This made it difficult to make real friendships that lasted outside of the classroom. There were some things, though, that I enjoyed during this year. I did enjoy the freedom that I felt in this new environment. Teachers gave you more responsibility and decision-making opportunities, whether it be with homework or who to work with during class. I also loved the pep rallies and overall school spirit. My freshman year of high school happened to be my sister's 10-year reunion, so during our homecoming game, my sister and I were both there cheering on the school, which for me was a lot of fun. During this game and at other times during the school day, I did have friends to hang out with and enjoyed laughing and goofing around with them. It was just difficult to have to leave all that there at the end of the day. This struggle around friendships continued throughout my high school career and continued to make my experience there difficult. Into my sophomore year, 2010 to 2011. I started taking AP classes this year, but they were very difficult for me. I loved my classmates in these classes, but couldn't keep up with them when it came to the material. A lot of this was on my part for not applying myself as much as the classes required, but personally, I also think it's too much to be putting on 15 and 16 year olds anyway. I tried a bit in these classes, but Honestly, no one even gave me a reason for why I should apply myself or why learning is important, so I just tried to get out of doing it. I remember in English class when we were assigned a book to read, I didn't even bother reading the actual book. This part, I'm sure, was due to my lack of comprehension skills. I wasn't going to spend my valuable time outside of school reading to not even understand what the book was about. So I'd go home and look up the spark notes and try to get a grasp of the contents, but never really succeeded. I got good at listening to my classmates who had actually read the book, talk about it, and at summarizing their understandings into my own words. This got me through, but didn't help me comprehend or actually learn anything from the material because I was so focused on getting by without having to do the actual work. I began really struggling to keep up academically and socially during this time. I wasn't putting in much effort in either aspect, and it was beginning to show. I believe at this point in my life, I began hanging out with my sister's friend, Tanya. It's not her real name. She was my sister's age, so late 20s at the time. I'd hung around her a lot whenever she was over at my sister's, and now I was beginning to babysit her nephew, so I saw her often. Her and I clicked quickly, and I began hanging out with her during my free time, which, of course, added to my not wanting to be cooped up in school all day. Tanya took me in when I was going through a really rough time, 
during a really rough time in life. I was alone a lot during this time. My mom was a single mother, so she was working a lot just to keep a roof over our heads and food on the table. My dad wasn't around at all during this time. My siblings are both much older than me, so they were out of the house by this point too. Since I wasn't interested in hanging out with my school friends outside of school, when I went home, I was usually by myself. Tanya saw something in me that reminded her of herself at my age and wanted to offer support and friendship. I will forever love her and be grateful for her for this. Our friendship has always been so beautiful and unique. I honestly don't know what I would have done without her. This brings us to my junior year of high school, 2011 to 2012. This year hit me hard. I stopped taking AP classes, which helped a bit. And I also got to choose more of my classes at this point, which was extremely helpful, but I really just did not want to be there. I didn't want to hang out with my friends from school very often at all, so why even apply myself to getting closer to them? One thing from school that I do remember this year was that I took my first psychology course. I loved it so much. I had a really cool teacher, and the subject material was so interesting to me. Up until this point, I thought I'd go to college for English because I loved writing. I wasn't psyched about this because I hated writing English papers for school, so when I took this psychology class, I kept wanting to take classes like this and realized what I wanted to go to college for. Because, of course, I had to go to college. That's what they tell all of us. You must go to college after high school if you want any hope of finding a good-paying job. I began working for the first time the summer before this year. I got my first job working at the Medieval Times gift shop from a friend of mine. My coworkers there were great, and I attached to them quickly. They were all older than me by about two to three years and were all out of high school and in college. This was very appealing to me because, honestly, I never felt on par with my peers. I never felt on the same playing field as them maturity-wise, so hanging out with my older co-workers was great for me. Medieval Times is an entertainment business, so we worked nights and weekends and often got together after work because we were all already together anyway. Because of the times of the show, we would get out of work very late, usually after 10. This ate up any time that I might get to spend with the friends I did have from school. On the weekends, when I didn't have school, I'd go out and party with my coworkers. This obviously wasn't great at this age, but it's what I did and where I found solace at the time. I really enjoyed hanging out with these people and felt deep connections with them. This had a detrimental effect on my school life, though. I never wanted to be at school now. I faked sick often to get out of going, and when I did have to go, I would just slog through the day until I could go to work and hang out with my friends there. I couldn't wait to be done with high school. I was always looking to be out of there and with my newfound older friends. This brings me to an event in my life that I now see as a cry for help and as a real low point for me depression-wise. This is your warning. I will talk about self-harm, and there will be some mention of blood here, so please skip ahead. Three minutes. Seconds, if you're not able to hear about this topic right now. I got so close to, with my coworkers so quickly that I just wanted to spend any extra time with them that I could. During the Medieval Times Halloween party this year, where all of us coworkers dressed up and played party games and had snacks and drinks... I was having a great time with my friends. 
Since it was a school night, my mom wanted me home at a reasonable time. This meant that I had to leave this party early and leave my friends. My friend from high school who had gotten me the job drove me home. I was distraught at having to leave my friends behind while they all got to continue partying. I got home, my mom was asleep, and I was finishing up my chore of putting away the dishes in my Alice in Wonderland costume. While putting the dishes away, I decided to cut myself. Real quick, I want to mention that I forgot to talk about some events that led up to this in the last episode. In middle school, I believe 7th or 8th grade, I would scratch up my arms and wrists, similar to how you might cut yourself when inflicting intentional self-harm. I remember sitting at my desk in class, scratching my wrists repeatedly, not knowing why I was doing this. This was never noticed by anyone. I would leave marks, but was good at hiding them. I forgot about this point in my life because, honestly, I don't think about it much. It never helped me or drew the attention I was so desperately seeking to me. I was ashamed, and I hid it as well as I could. This obviously culminated to this event that took place after I got home from this Halloween party. I called my friends who were still at the party, crying. I couldn't believe what I'd done. I didn't understand why I'd done it. My friends began driving to my house from the party. Soon after I'd known they were coming, my whole demeanor changed. I felt relieved, and luckily I hadn't cut deep enough to be drawing much blood. I cleaned myself up and heard the doorbell ring. As I opened the door, completely fine now, I was met with two officers standing there. My mom came downstairs, and I immediately started bawling. I had to explain what had just happened. As it turns out, while my friends were driving to my house, they got pulled over. They had to let the officers know why they were speeding, so naturally the police sent officers to my house to make sure everything was okay. My friends showed up shortly after the police and made sure I was okay, too. Once everyone left, I had a long talk with my mom. I had no idea why I did this then. It is extremely obvious to me and my mom now, but no one really knew what I was going through, what was going on inside my head. So no one saw it then, either. I was scared. My mom was scared. She helped me through this year as best she could. Like I said, I still didn't know why I did this, so she could only help me with the things that I could identify. We worked through it together. Ever since then, I have never harmed myself, and because I can identify these mechanisms at play here, I don't believe I will ever revert to this again. That is the end of any discussion of depression, self-harm, or blood in this episode. Now this brings us into my senior year, 2012 to 2013. This year was rough for me. All I wanted was out, out of school, out of the house. So for the most part, I pretty much kept up the same routine as last year. When I wasn't faking sick, I'd get up, slog myself to school, sleep through half my classes, barely scrape by in the others, then go home, go to work, and hang out with my friends for the night. This job really was not difficult at all. It was all customer service and mostly lots of fun. I even enjoyed when we did inventory until 1 or 2 in the morning because it was just more time that I got to spend with my friends. So this is how the first semester of this year went for me. But at this point, I was so done with school that I decided I was going to graduate early. 
Luckily, I had met all my requirements and just needed to arrange things with my teachers so I wouldn't have to come back to take tests after the winter break. I did everything I needed to so I never had to go back there. I took all my exams early and turned in all my final assignments. Then, as soon as winter break hit, I was free. I was done with school and spent my time working. Of course, I loved it. I had essentially no responsibility besides going to work, which I loved. I hung out with these friends even more and partied with them at college. At some point during this year, I began dating one of my coworkers. He was my first real adult relationship, and we ended up dating for about five years. I wanted to continue hanging out with him and my friends more, so I began applying for colleges too. Ultimately, I ended up following him and my friends to Northern Illinois University. I didn't really make a decision for myself as to which college to attend. All my friends were going to NIU, so I was going to NIU. Looking back, I can see now how desperate I was for friendship, for people to accept me and to want to be around me. These friends gave me that then, and I'm so thankful for them. Regardless of the recklessness we got into, these people helped me through a really rough time in my life. They showed me acceptance and that I mattered. This is the friend group that I stuck with throughout college, and we'll hear more about that in the next episode. My college years contained a lot of fun and a lot of learning in more ways than one. I learned a lot academic-wise, and I learned a lot of lessons during this time. We'll talk through all of that, as well as what I've learned in my life post-college. I'll be going into a lot of the social-emotional stuff again, so be ready for that. I hope you're enjoying this little learning history so far, and be sure to tune in in two weeks when I finish this up. Recommendations. Now on to our recommendations for this episode. Just one today. That's the article on Indigenous Action titled 16 Things You Can Do to Be Ungovernable. To learn about how we must stay vigilant to restore sovereignty and about some suggestions on how to do that, check out this article and consider integrating some of these into your life and your community. I'll link it in the episode notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help support the podcast. All this content is free, and I'd love to make it my job one day. So if you're financially able, join our Patreon or send a one-time or recurring donation through PayPal. You can also share an episode with family or friends and give UK a kind rating and review. Check out understandingkindness.com for all episodes, transcripts, and blog posts. And why not take a listen to my other podcast, Better When Awkward, co-hosted by my childhood best friend, Jasmine. Get in touch with me by emailing understandingkindness at protonmail.com or through social media. You can find all links in the episode notes. For now, be kind, be compassionate, be understanding, and question everything. I'll be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Understanding Kindness.